Tonight, Michigan State Police investigators are working with police in Missoula, Montana. December 15th, 2017. About possible new developments in the case of the three missing brothers from Marinci. Could this be it? Children's remains were found about 1,800 miles west of Marinci. Did someone just find the remains of Andrew Alexander and Tanner Skelton? Back in mid-December, a group of us here at WDIV were editing a script of this very podcast when reporter Sandra Ali got a tip. That tip was the remains of three kids were found in Missoula, Montana, and the remains' ages appeared to match those of the Skelton brothers. That information set off a flurry of activity here at the station. Phone calls, emails, firing off in all directions. I reached out to Tanya, no answer. Called her again, and again, and again, and no answer. I knew it was a tough time to call, and especially to call her now and ask about this. I also knew it was probably annoying and insensitive. I hated doing it, but it's also part of the job. She never did get back to me that day. Sandra Lee reports on how that discovery was made. Good evening to you tonight from Marenzi, where we have been able to confirm those remains found earlier in Missoula, Montana, are now being analyzed. They're being analyzed by experts at the University of North Texas in Denton. Someone in Missoula, Montana, found a box of bone fragments in a storage shed. Experts in Montana then determined the bones belonged to three children between the ages of two and 10 years old. DNA testing now underway to find some answers. Were those boys or girls, were they siblings? DNA evidence could take several weeks at least. Now, after Texas, we're being told from there, those DNA results will be sent back to Washington, D.C. to NamUs for analysis. That could take some time as well, possibly even months for processing. Anthropologists say these bones are recent. That could also mean up to 99 years old in anthropological terms. Folks here, though, in Marenzi say they are praying for the family and praying for closure. They get their closure that they've wanted for seven years. They get to move on finally. I mean, good or bad, no one wants that, but... They get to move on. They get to say their goodbyes. We did reach Sandra reported that story from Main Street in Marenzi, blocks away from Tanya. Reporters, friends, and family all tried to reach Tanya. She made sure she talked to the people she wanted to, the people she loves, the people who need to know what's going on. As for the rest, she put out the following message on her front door and on social media. It read, Our family statement regarding the news out of Missoula, Montana, is this information has just been presented to our family within the last several hours. We are processing it and are hopeful that we will get an answer soon. We are thankful for all your thoughts and prayers. In other words, please give us some time to wrap our heads around this whole thing. This news made it feel like the case was on the verge of being blown open, like closure could come at any second. Reports out of Montana told us this much. The bones were found in a shed sitting in the backyard of a rental property, a small bungalow which is located on the west side of Missoula. A cleaning crew was brought in to clean out the house and shed just a week after the tenants living there were evicted. This was all the way back in September of 2017, but we didn't hear until much later. Missoula police would go as far as to call this a homicide investigation. But how did Andrew Alexander and Tanner connect 
to Missoula. Now, Missoula police say this is a puzzle, but there's no reason to believe there's any danger to the public. The main focus right now, figuring out the identities of these three children, something they're working with missing persons databases to do. Now, once the detectives have IDs, the next puzzle is to determine where they're from, if they're missing, and how they died. Investigators just submitted their findings to the National Missing and Unidentified Persons System to determine if these children were related or missing from another state. Another state, like Michigan? We're trying to determine if, uh, you know, there's foul play involved. This is Sergeant Travis Welsh of the Missoula Police Department. The deaths of these people who, you know, at the ages of 10 and under, it's not typical unless there's some tragedy or illness for young people to just suddenly die. Definitely not typical. The remains were found in a shed. The home was a rental. Do these remains belong to the renters or to the homeowner? My, uh, the knowledge I have was it belonged to the former homeowner. Who, this is Lieutenant Detective Jeremy Brewer of the Michigan State Police. Who had had uh, just piles and piles of things in his basement and his outbuildings. And um, from my understanding, that's who all this stuff had belonged to. Neighbors couldn't believe it. It's just too bizarre and it's, it's uh, really has us scared. Yeah, if we could move tomorrow, we would. I just assumed that the, another rental was in and out, and I never saw any police officers over there. Um, over the years, there's been children playing in the front yard. The tenants were, were dirty. They were, it was an unkept house. The yard was a mess. They, they seemed really withdrawn. Lead investigator Jeremy Brewer believes the box that contained the remains belonged to the original homeowner, who is now deceased. So the tenants didn't seem to factor in. Here's Missoula Police Officer Travis Walsh again. We're uh, trying to identify these these children, and not only identify them, but uh, to find, try to find out how old these bones are and what exactly happened to place them in the storage shed on this property here in Missoula. I do. I do. Eventually, Sandra Ali and I were able to get a hold of Tanya. Actually, it was kind of weird. Um, the night, let's see, that broke like on a Thursday. By this time, Tanya knew what was going on. In fact, she was actually ahead of the curve. In the night on Wednesday night, for some crazy reason, I couldn't sleep. And every now and then I'll have nights like that where I might only sleep two hours all night. So I'm just scrolling on my phone, trying to go to sleep. And I read the story. And so I had read it before the rest of the world, I guess. My thinking in the night when I read that that article was, well, if, um, if it's anything that I need to be aware of, you know, Detective Brewer will get a hold of me. I'm not, you know, I'm not too worried about it. How difficult for you is it to have a conversation um, uh, like I'm guessing you had with Tanya. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of bittersweet feelings going on. Sure. Lieutenant Brewer begins telling me that he filters the information that gets to Tanya. Things pop up all the time, and it can be a roller coaster of emotions. So he protects her from the unneeded information. But this wasn't unneeded information. This was something they had to talk about. A conversation like this was, was difficult, and I think the difficulty in this was because they got so much press coverage from, you know, really all over the country. And so it's tough for them emotionally if they're just dealing it, dealing with it just, you know, between them and I. But when you get multiple news agencies and media outlets 
constantly reaching out to them, wanting answers and wanting input. It just gets overwhelming. His talk with Tanya happened the day after Tanya read the article. It was a Thursday. She left work, and it didn't take long before she knew something was going on. I get about halfway to my car and my every day, my, and then my, that's when I like finally get decent service, and my phone will start going off. And I'm like, what in the world? I mean, it just kept going ping, 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 ping. I said, all these messages and missed calls. Tanya said she had forgotten about the article that she read the night before already. Her sister was one of the first phone calls that Tanya returned that afternoon. And then she said, oh, my God, Jeremy's trying to get a hold of you, and this is what's going on. She said on. that was around 4 o'clock. I'm like, I already read that story. And she's like, what? And so, anyway, um, from 4 o'clock to 7.30, I was on the phone nonstop. Tanya talked to her immediate family, letting them know that they would see this on the news. Seven years after their disappearance, investigators might have found answers in the case of the missing skeleton boys. She was right, of course. Story was everywhere. TV, Internet. Determine whether the remains of children found in Montana. Not the answers that they or the family. Investigators might have found answers. The discovery of those remains. So we had a handful of teeth. This is Kristen Green, an anthropologist from the University of Montana. Police went to her first with the remains. Um, And then we had two individuals that fall sort of around the ages. They're a good age range would be like 9 and 12 ish, 9 to 12. It was this assessment, these ages, that created a link between Missoula and Michigan. But that seemed to be the only thing tying the two together. When you hear about the bones of being three individuals, all children in the age ranges, it was very intriguing. Um, but at the same time, uh, knowing the case like we do, uh, there, we had no connection to Montana whatsoever. I just could not, and I still can't, Make a connection to Montana. There's nothing, to my knowledge, he never trucked there when we were together. No family that lives there, no friends that live there. I'm like, I just can't, I can't grasp it. Former Morency Police Chief Larry Weeks looked at this whole thing with guarded optimism. It was as much that it seemed unlikely as it seemed like it may be one of the more promising leads that we had. And I realize that's contradictory, but, you know, it was hard to ignore the ages that uh, uh, the anthropologists out there indicated that the bones were. And in trying to think that there would be three other missing children somewhere in the nation that... uh, were of similar age and it'd be a, you know, a case that I hadn't heard about. So, you know, it's hard not to get excited about possible resolution. Um, but at the same time, see, thinking that just seems so unlikely that, the, you know, any remains could have traveled that far. That was the problem. How could this have worked? If this was the boys, how? Did this mean John did something awful to the kids? Gave them to somebody? and that somebody or those somebodies desecrated their bodies and placed what remained in a box? Medical examiners told police it would take between three and six months before they would have results from their tests. The bones were now being looked at by an organization called NamUs, or the National Missing Unidentified Person System. 
World-renowned medical examiner Werner Spitz explains what data and information are being looked for. If the bones are amenable to um, obtain DNA, then the father and the mother can yield information when compared to the DNA of these remains. We don't know where any of the bones were from. Here's anthropologist Kristen Green again. There is no um, origin, if you will. We just know that they were found in a box. Um, but I can't say, like, they were from this location, this, you know, this city or this local area that, that can't be determined. Any time when you have a situation where there is material available to work with, but it may not be sufficient. Three to six months is a long time to wait. It had already been seven years, but now time seemed to be bogged down in quicksand. I want the answers yesterday. I don't dwell on it a whole lot. Because until I have answers, I don't need to put myself through that type of unnecessary stress. I think that she probably has more patience than most of us, I would say, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, not just Tanya. I mean, she faces the, you know, she's the boy's mother. So, of course, she's just um, in such a horrible position um, with this. But, you know, the, the other family members are too. Don't you people understand what you're dealing with are bones that belong to children. And there are children that match that age range that are missing. Why can't they go to the front of the line? Then I tell myself, everybody else's bones that are waiting to be tested, they've been waiting too. So why should I get to go to the front of the line? We'll keep an eye on the weather, but let's get to the other day's news, including this breaking development happening right now in the Skelton case. Sandra Ali is live at our digital set. And Sandra, you just got some news about those bones found in Montana. We did, Devin and Kimberly. In fact, this latest information coming to us a short time ago from the Missoula County Sheriff's Department. The undersheriff in Montana confirming that the bones they had been examining, the bones that were found late last year, are not a match to Andrew Alexander or Tanner Skelton. And just like that, the Missoula chapter closed shut. Equally as conflicting, you know, I, you know, Unfortunate that we weren't able to come to closer to resolving the case if it had been them. But on the other side of things, you know, a little bit of excitement for the fact that they weren't, you know, there's no proof that they're deceased. You kind of hope that maybe, you know, I am wrong. You know, maybe you hope that in your back of your head that, the, you know, they're still alive out there. Here's Detective Brewer. It was nice to be able to um, put that to bed as far as, uh, letting the family know that, okay, this is not the boys. We're going to press on and continue on with our investigation. Is that a bittersweet moment when you find out you get the definitive proof that it's not? It actually was okay. So that's not them. We still have hope. They could still be alive. So let's move forward. So I think it brought a lot of um, really horrible memories back for them for when it first happened. 
And so I was <clears throat> glad for them that, you know, we were able to push past that and they could kind of get back to, you know, whatever their normal is right now. Now it's just like, okay, yeah, here we are. Here we are, back at a familiar spot. No answers, nothing obvious on the horizon. Coming up, Tanya's response to the interview I did with John's family. Last episode, we heard from John's family. and What they said was, the boys are fine. They also said many disparaging things about Tanya and Chief Weeks. I needed to allow both of them to answer some of the claims made. As you would expect, they were less than pleased. The way I see it, John Russell told his parents, well, I went to the police and they won't do anything about it. Here, Tanya's talking about the claims John made, stating that he, John, went to Chief Larry Weeks and Morency with complaints about Tanya mistreating their sons. When in reality, no, he did not. There are no reports anywhere. Um, and until John Russell took our sons and went to Florida in September, I don't believe I had ever talked John's parents and sister claimed that Tanya knew the whole plan to move to Florida. No. No. John may have told them that we were moving down there. He mentioned it to me one time, and I told him I had to look into what it would take to transfer everything down there. And I never got that chance because he took off with them before before the courts ever even Opened up in Florida. He was on the way to Florida with them. John's mom, Roxanne, well, she points out that Tanya was never actually out herself searching for the boys. I did not go out looking for my children. Um, The police would not allow me anyways. Right. They needed me where they could get to me with questions for, like, I can't even. Mm. And I think that that's probably the part that's lost, right? Is that the, uh, she's not thinking clearly of what your mindset would have been at that time anyway. Well, and here, here's my thing. I am not going to defend my actions to her. Because until her children have been taken by her husband and she doesn't know where they're at, she has no right to judge my reaction and how I handled myself. Right. Nor does anyone else. Because until you are in those shoes, shame on you. I mean, I understand it. You know, they, they love their son. They love their brother. Um, you know, the fa- his family loves him, and they want to 
you know, advocate for him. So I, I get that, but you know, and I and I understand that with every story, there's typically a villain, and they, you know, they want to vilify me and and Tanya. That's because they don't want to cast that on John. So I mean, I understand that. Um, but there'll come a time, you know, as years pass, if, if what I believe to have occurred here is true, um, that you know, when when the boys are all of age and you know. He's still yet to be discovered. You know, eventually, I think that that viewpoint's going to eventually shift, and they're going to have to come to the realization that something nefarious has happened, and and that John's responsible, and they you know won't be as angry with me, and that that'll shift towards John. Larry Weeks wonders if the Skelton family doesn't trust the police, then who do they trust? I think that's a logical next question to ask, and and if they don't have an answer to that, then to me it's okay, then, then you're just being disruptive, and why? And then eventually, if you, if you ask the right questions and they give accurate answers, you eventually get to the point, well, we're just supporting our son. We're just, you know, that's all we're doing. We don't really want the case to be resolved because then we'd have to face the fact that our son probably did something really horrible that I don't want to have to deal with. John's family stuck to their story when I spoke with them never wavering, unwittingly or not. For Tanya, it was almost too much to hear. She took exception with many things said down in Jacksonville. I think everyone's waiting to find out if John's telling the truth, right? Of course they are. Yeah. And then it's going to, who's going to get the last laugh? Who's going to get the last laugh? Really? This is not a game. (laughs) Right. Oh, my God. These are my son's lives that you're talking about. It's not a game. The way I see it, John Russell told his parents, well, I went to the police and they won't do anything about it. When in reality, no, he did not. So... My perspective of John's parents, and to a lesser extent, Lucinda, is that I don't think that they necessarily believe that they're lying all the time. I believe that they believe their son, good or bad, Mm -hmm. but blindly they believe what John tells them. Do you think that might be fair to say? Yes. And, And that has been said before that they just unconditionally believe everything that he says. The truth of the matter is we don't know what the skeletons do know and what they don't. We don't know what they've talked about behind closed doors down in Jacksonville. We don't know everything John told them. We have no way of proving if Senior's story about a person approaching him from behind one day, telling him the boys are fine and not to turn around, We have no idea if that really happened or not. We just don't know. What we do know is their words sound a lot like those of their son, John Russell. Not that we've heard him say all those things because he's been locked away and hasn't been heard from in many years. But based on what John said in court back in 2011 and what we've heard from people that talk to him periodically, it sounds like John. For the better part of a year, I've been trying to get John to talk to me. For the better part of a year... I've had no luck. But our friend Sandra Ali, 
talked to John years ago and you heard that conversation, maybe he'd remember her. Maybe he'd want to reconnect. Sandra wrote a letter to John in prison. About a month later, she got one back. And that was just the beginning. Hello? Hello, this is a prepaid call from... John Skelton. A prisoner at the Michigan Department of Corrections. That's next time on Shattered. If you have any information about the case, please call... 517-636-0689. And that's right into my desk phone. If you'd like to hear and see more about how we're covering the ongoing search in Morency, go to shatteredpodcast.com. There's also more information, sound video, pictures, at our Instagram page, Facebook page, or Twitter. And you can find all those by searching Shattered Podcast. 